What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. We've got a lot coming up on the program today. But I want to start the hour, or the program, by talking about, you know, how democracies die. Essentially, why Fox News claims they, that would be you and me, I guess, or actually you if you are a person of color. I, 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 I get, but, I, but I think they're lumping me in here as a liberal supporter of, of diversity as well. Why we are quote, taking down cancel culture, or taking down white culture, excuse me. You know, the, the simple reality is that democracies don't turn into fascist oligarchies typically by being invaded or by losing wars. Uh, you know, I get it that there will be people who will say, well, you know, France fell to Hitler and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, it never really became a fascist oligarchy. None, none of those occupied territories that Hitler seized um, were those things beyond their occupation by Germany. So I, I, I don't think that you can say that they really became fascist oligarchies. They were occupied territories. But what does cause fascist oligarchies is that they get taken down from within. This is how it always happens. And it is always two things that bring about this transition from democracy to fascism. And the first is typically a charismatic leader. Actually, it's not even the first. The, the two are equally important. Uh, one is a charismatic leader, and the other, as we had with Newt Gingrich in the 90s, as we have with Donald Trump in this, in this century, and the other is the morbidly rich funding the effort. I mean, it has literally played out this way in every democracy that became an authoritarian oligarchy that has fallen to tyranny. For example, it happened in the 30s in Germany and Italy and in Spain and in Japan. And uh, more recently, over the last 15, 20 years, it's, been, it's happened in Hungary, it's happened in Poland, it's happened in Egypt, it's happened in Russia, it's happened in the Philippines, it's happened in Turkey, and, and you know, the list goes on. And now Republicans and the oligarchs aligned with them here in the United States are trying to pull it off in our country. I've talked to you before about this book, I Paid Hitler. It was published in 1941 by Fritz Tyson. 
Fritz Tyson was the uh, Charles Koch of his day. He was uh, one of the wealthiest and most powerful industrialists in Germany. And in 1933, he was the guy who wrote the letter to von Hindenburg saying, you must appoint Adolf Hitler as, as Reich's chancellor, as, as chancellor, which happened in 1933. In fact, von Hindenburg did it a few weeks after, after uh, Tyson wrote that letter uh, with a few other industrialists, but it was principally Tyson's letter. And then once Hitler became chancellor, Tyson lobbied the Association of German Industrialists, which is the, was the 1933 German version of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, lobbied them to give three million Reichsmarks, which would be like maybe $300 million in today's money, to the Nazi party for the 1933 election to elect Nazis up and down the party and cement Hitler's control over Germany. And that, in fact, Fritz Tyson's efforts were what brought Adolf Hitler to power. And Hitler's sales pitch to the German people had been that the Jews and the socialists, and the socialists uh, essentially represented the second, or were large part of the second largest political party in Germany at the time, had stabbed Germany in the back by negotiating the Treaty of Versailles to end World War I in a way that included, you know, huge, excuse me, huge penalties against Germany that produced an economic crash in Germany that Hitler was surfing. I mean, he was riding on this. So that brought Hitler to power. And then what was the first thing Hitler did in 1933-34? The Enabling Acts. He changed the election laws in Germany so that in individual regions of Germany, the people running the elections could throw out votes from regions or from parties that they thought, you know, that they knew wouldn't vote for Hitler. They rigged the elections so that only their votes counted or made it harder for people to vote who were not, you know, the, from he heavily Nazi areas. And again, we're seeing the same thing happening here. So, the, the, you know, with these voter suppression and voter nullification laws that the Republicans are pushing. Meanwhile, billionaire Rupert Murdoch's family, uh, his uh, Fox News organ is working as hard as it can to make black people and Democrats this generation's version of Hitler's Jews and socialists. Their top-rated morning show, Fox and Friends, wandered into this discussion of white people being marginalized. This is what Brian Kilmeade said. They're not only trying to raise up minorities, make sure the playing field is even, they're trying to take down the white culture. Really? Kilmeade then went on, why are we being marginalized on a daily basis? This is Brian Kilmeade. You know, this is their top rated, this is their, their equivalent of Morning Joe on MSNBC, their, their morning. And it's not even subtle, Kilmeade says. It's actually out there. It's written in black and white. He's talking about teaching the actual racial history of America. This is not the first time that America has faced fascists. Uh, president Franklin Roosevelt and his vice president, Henry Wallace, struggled with fascists back in the 1940s. In, uh, April, on April 9th, 1944, in the New York Times, vice president, then Vice President Henry Wallace published a piece in the New York Times in which he wrote, 
The really dangerous American fascists are not those who are hooked up directly or indirectly with the Axis. The FBI has its finger on those. The dangerous American fascist is the man who wants to do in the United States in an American way what Hitler did in Germany in a Prussian way. He continued, the American fascist would prefer not to use violence. His method is to poison the channels of public information. With a fascist, the problem is never best, uh, never how best to present the truth to the public, but how best to use the news to deceive the public into giving the fascist and his group more money and more power. And the, uh, the lesson that I would share with you is that history is screaming at us. I mean, this, is, it, it, this has just gone up a whole octave. History is absolutely screaming at us. And what are we going to do about it? I think this is like the question of the day. I'm going to be uh, getting into where is the Department of Justice as QAnon is now backing a brand new paramilitary group, a new domestic terror group, and, and the bizarre way that Donald Trump's cult is consolidating in Florida. And we can have a conversation about it, shall we say. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's your media support group for We the People, the Tom Harbin program. Okay, so there's a, a, a new, a brand new paramilitary group. This is the first I heard of this. Maybe it's, maybe it's been around a little longer than, you know, just the last week, I'm, I'm guessing, but it's just now popping into presence. It's called the First Amendment Praetorians. They wear black t-shirts, shades of Mussolini's black shirts, right, which was his volunteer force, just like Hitler had the brown shirts, they were volunteers. And uh, they have uh, a, a logo, which is of a Roman helmet. The Rome, of course, was a republic for a brief time and then fell into tyranny as emperor after emperor behaved more and more like Donald Trump would like to. And last month in Texas, uh, they showed up for, the, for you know, a MAGA event. And uh, they said that they were there to, uh, to keep out Antifa. You know, those Antifa folks, they're... they're uh, and there was no Antifa. <laughs> There's never any Antifa. Instead, uh, they started kicking out reporters. So, you know, uh, any organization that claims to believe in American values and kicks out reporters does not believe in American values. See the First Amendment, right? See the founders' discussions. See, you know, Jefferson's letter about I'd rather live in a country with newspapers but no government than a country with a government but no newspapers. But uh, this guy who runs it, uh, he's a former Green Beret, he's a, and a former staff sergeant. 
He says this group, this uh, from Travis Gettys, by the way, over at Raw Story. The headline, the U.S. will become a battleground. A new QAnon-backing paramilitary group is prepping for civil war. Uh, former Staff Sergeant says his group consists entirely of military veterans, law enforcement, and the intelligence community. I would be very skeptical of a claim like that, uh, you know, um, but who knows? And Lewis says their activities are necessary to prevent against Antifa massacres in the suburbs. Didn't you know? Which kind of suggests that they think that Antifa are those marauding black people that they're always talking about on Fox News who are coming for the white suburbs. Uh, but, you know, my, my read of Antifa is that it's mostly a white movement that, you know, is kind of aligned with and supportive of Black Lives Matter, a largely black movement, although both have, you know, people of all uh, varieties uh, in their organizations. They are also uh, working to stop the continent-spanning conspiracy between liberals and Chinese special forces. Uh, Sean, Nate, have we gotten any calls from the Chinese special forces recently? They want to kind of join us and take over Portland or something? I don't know. So Mike Flynn tweeted this out. First, Praetorian helps us. They now need our help. And he sent this to Mark Levin. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Tucker Carlson. Please consider donating, Mike Flynn said, to support these American patriots. American patriots who don't believe in the First Amendment. Right. The guy who is the founder, by the way, was present at the Stop the Steal rally ahead of the January 6th insurrection. We don't have any specific photos of him being inside the Capitol, but he tweeted his apparent support minutes before the perimeter was breached. At 2.18 p.m., he tweeted, Today is the day the true battles begin. And, of course, Seth Abramson has been doing some just mind-boggling reporting about these two hotels across the street from the, from the Capitol building, or in the neighborhood of the Capitol building, that were being, being used as headquarters for planning the insurrection against the United States and for carrying it out in his command, you know, central. And then, of course, there was the hotel in Virginia where they had amassed all these weapons and they were getting ready to be the second wave to come in once they had killed Pence, once they had shot Pelosi in the forehead, um, once they had, you know, the, the, the Republicans had said, okay, we're going to, you know, 147 of them, we're going to vote to make Donald Trump president, only they, you know, they figured it would be more than that. Uh, we're going to vote to make Donald Trump president, and that's the end of that. And then the, the second wave was going to come in from Virginia with all their guns, um, you know, to... Um, what, fight the second American Revolution? Meanwhile, down in, down in Florida, Trump, quote, basks in the adoration, in the biosphere of adoration at his Florida club. Bloomberg's Joshua Green writes, at every moment of his day, Trump is bathed in adulation. When he enters the dining room, people stand and applaud. When he returns from golf, he's met with squeals and selfie requests. When he leaves Mar-a-Lago, he often encounters flag-waving throngs or organized by a former professional harmonica player an anti-abortion activist who runs pro-Trump rallies in Palm Beach. In this gilded biosphere, Green writes, Trump encounters no one who isn't vocally gratified by his presence. 
It's uh, it's absolutely bizarre. Now his children, Ivanka and Don Jr., bought multi-million dollar houses nearby. Fox News broadcasters Sean Hannity and Neil Cavuto have bought multi-million dollar estates nearby. Uh, they noted Democratic strategist Eddie Vale. He says, it's like Rachel Maddow and Pod Save America guys all bought condos in Chicago so they could hang out with Obama. It's, it's bizarre. You're listening to the Tom Hartman program. Even Newsmax broadcasts from nearby Boca Raton and Brad Parscal, the uh, uh, political operations and campaign guy, is in Fort Lauderdale. Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hey, thank you, Tom, for taking my call. By the way, I have been vaccinated already. and uh, Congratulations. I'm, ha- I'm happy about that. But yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this echo chamber for the Trumpists, all these lies being disseminated by you know, Fox News and Facebook and so on. This is what the problem is in this country, these echo chambers that keep feeding these lies to the public. And why is it that the federal government doesn't shut them down? They are trying to overthrow a legitimate government. In my opinion, they should be shut down. It's treason. Don't you think that's what it is? And I'll take my answer. I, I, think, it's, I think it's un-American. Alfredo, I think it is an affront to just minimal standards of decency and democracy, you know, what's going on with these guys. I'll give you that. The, the difficulty with shutting them down is that unless they're openly calling for sedition and armed rebellion, and I, I get that some have, and frankly they should be held to account, but unless they're calling for that, we have this thing called the First Amendment, you know, it's, uh, Jefferson famously said, I would rather live in a country with newspapers and no government than a country with a government and no newspapers. And he said that in the year after he was elected when he had just been ripped to shreds in, in the newspapers for a whole bunch of things. I mean, the, the whole Sal, Sally Hemings thing was out, which was the most salacious, but then there were, there were uh, uh, an entire campaign that had been launched by John Adams suggesting that uh, Jefferson was in bed with the French monarchy and he really wanted, you know, I mean, it just, it just, uh, or the, the remnants of the, the, the French monarchy. I mean, at that point in time, the French Revolution was already over. We have to decide, well, we already decided, that for a democracy to work, for a democracy to genuinely function, you have to have a free press. And if there are people saying things we don't like, that's okay. I'm saying things they don't like. And there are people on the right who would love to see, uh, you know, this program shut down or, or things like it. And I just think that that, when we start talking about the government inserting itself into news, we go down a very dangerous road. Now, the one thing that I do think the government should do immediately is require social media companies to publish their algorithms show us the system that you are using to drive people from a weird idea to a weirder idea to an outright BS idea to a seditious idea to showing up on January 6th. How do these algorithms that are used by these giant corporations progressively radicalize people? I think that information should basically be public knowledge. 
And, you know, it's protected arguably right now by patent, copyright, and trademark laws. They're, they're calling these things trade secrets. I don't think they should be protected, just like I think all voting machines should be open source software. But that's just me. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So, you know, the question, how does this play out? How does this end up? How do, how do we get out of this? I mean, if we're confronted with a situation right now where we've got major media vehicles essentially promoting fascism, trying to pretend that January 6th never happened or that it was just a, another tourist day and never showing the actual footage, and, and having people on denying about it, who are trying to pretend that the efforts uh, by Democrats and, and uh, arguably even a few Republicans, although I'm not, I'm not so much seeing them these days, to put America back together, to put America back on track, arguing that that's all, you know, some socialist plot, you know, aligning themselves with right-wing paramilitary, armed paramilitary groups who say that you know, uh, Antifa and Democrats and uh, Chinese special forces are all in it together. I mean, this is crazy land. How do we rebut this? How, how, have, how have you encountered this? Have you encountered this kind of stuff on, uh, you know, on social media, in your life, with your families? How do you rebut it? What do we do as a country? My take is, and I'll, I'll just lay it out very simply and then pick up your phone calls. My take is that 
we have to we have to point out exactly what it is. This isn't just Republicans behaving badly. This isn't just politics as normal in the United States. This isn't even the new McCarthyism. McCarthy was largely, well, he did create kind of a national hysteria, but he was largely marginalized and eventually humiliated. This is the rise of fascism inside the United States every, in a way that is every bit as real as the rise of fascism inside the United States happened during the late 1930s and early 1940s with Charlie Lindbergh's, uh, Charles Lindbergh's uh, America First movement. And the only thing that stopped that was when we went to war with fascists in 1941. And then, you know, three years later, Henry Wallace, while we're still at war, the vice president of the United States says, uh, yeah, the real American fascists, the ones we have to worry about, they're the ones who want to poison the channel. He called them the poisoners of the channels of information. And here we are. And now the same billionaire oligarchs who are funding these news operations, you heard about, you know, uh, uh, Ken Vogel had reported on this uh, five years ago in, in Politico about how Limbaugh and Hannity and all these other right-wingers were literally taking millions of dollars every year from the Heritage Foundation. There is no left-wing think tank that funds me or this show or any other progressive. But on the right, this is a heavily subsidized operation right across the board, including the radio and TV stations. And these people are, are dead set on making sure that democracy dies in America. And all you have to do is look at the, at the voter suppression bills and the voter nullification bills that have been introduced in 47 states and passed in 22 states now. If we can't get a federal law to stop this, you can kiss your democracy goodbye. So anyhow, uh, as I said, I'll pick up your phone calls here. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, what's up? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that they actually, whether they intentionally or not, chose the term Praetorian, the new Praetorians. I mean, that as it evolved, the Praetorian Guard became the personal guard of the Emperor of Rome. That's correct. And, you know, the dictator, the dictator of Rome. And when Caligula was assassinated, you know, they thought, you know, that as a you know, members of, you know, they the got rid of Caligula, and it was the Praetorian Guard that apparently found Claudius and declared him emperor because the Praetorians wanted to keep their jobs. They thought they were going to be out of a job if the Republic was reestablished. So we have to recognize these guys for what they are as guardians of fascism. And for our Republican politicians who have embraced this stuff, when we see them on the street, we say, why have you decided to become a fascist? I mean, that, mm -hmm. and, uh, if they tap their hip and, and, you know, that indicating they have a firearm, you just say, well, you just threatened me with a firearm and have them arrested. I mean, that maybe we have to confront these guys and call them out for what they are whenever we see them, I think. Maybe that's the solution. Well, I think it's I a mean, start. I mean, you know, the American media is starting to speak in these kinds of terms, but we're still seeing a whole lot of whataboutism and uh, both sidesism and other things like that in the American media and uh, ain't good. Yeah, I, you know, the, the whole thing, the whole denial of, you know, that the part of the denial that COVID doesn't exist or masks are a sign of the Gestapo or, you know, the, 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 the stars that Jews were forced to wear. Well, I mean, it was more than just the stars that Jews were forced to wear. It was, you know, that, you know, gays were forced to wear pink triangles and, 
and some of the other groups were forced to wear right. other imagery when they were after they were arrested. Yeah. I mean, it is just, we have to call these guys out because the, these guys have embraced fascism, pure and simple, and we have to call them out. I mean, and they're all embracing it. And whether, why they're doing it, I can't understand, because why they have chosen to embrace Donald Trump, maybe he is just, they see him as the vehicle to embrace what they wanted there to is, have all There along. is always one, basically, symbol, single reason why, why people and ultimately countries embrace fascism, and that is fear. They are afraid of loss of power, loss of prestige, loss of status. They have been filled with fear. That's what basically Fox News and right-wing hate radio have to sell, is, you know, George Soros is corrupting your country, you know, this Hungarian Jew billionaire, Jewish billionaire. And, you know, black people are going to try to take over, and it's going to be all affirmative action all the time, and no white person's ever going to get into another college. And we're going to have reparations, which means your taxes are going to be tripled to pay. You know, I mean, it's just, they've got all these weird fantasies that every single one of them has some small little kernel of reality associated with it, but it doesn't lead to this bizarre outcome that they're talking about. Well, and then they I, use words like Antifa and critical race theory, like it's critical. It's a, you know, it's a bad word, critical. And then imbue them with their own meaning so, that as, to, so as to terrify their followers, Mark. Well, and, and fear, fear is, a bad, is a horrible master, which apparently these guys have chosen to let fear be their master and rather than... You know, Whoop. I'm sorry, Mark. I, I was preparing to get ready for the next caller, and, and I apparently uh, touched the touchpad a little too hard. I'm sorry, Mark. Uh, Daryl in Danville, New Jersey, you are on the air. Hey, Tom. How are you today? I'm well. What's up? Yeah, I think just as we need to call out fascism, we need to stop using the term Antifa. We don't. Because Antifa... When was the last no, time you heard anybody on the left talk about, proclaim, highlight, or even have a guest on from Antifa? It hasn't happened on this program in uh, years. No, no, no. No, I mean using the word Antifa. Right. I, the only time I use the word Antifa is when I'm quoting Republicans, because this is their boogeyman and they they have largely you know created a whole mythology around it that i mean there are there are people obviously who, who call themselves anti-fascists proudly my father was an anti-fascist he volunteered you know to go fight in world war ii against fascists but but the, i'm an anti-fat yeah but the whole but the whole antifa thing you know after after it had its moment you know it's kind of occupy wall street moment you know the first year of existence and and, uh, you know, here we're the good guys, has been just, you know, ripped off by the right. And uh, anyhow, you're, but to your point, Daryl, uh, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Why do you think that we should stop using this word? Because I think a lot of people on, on both the left and the right, people who are not really paying attention, don't even know that Antifa is short for anti-fascist. Right, exactly. And that was my point, and, and, I, and I made this point yesterday as well, that, that what, the, what the GOP does, and what they've been doing for, for, you know, since the McCarthy era, is they will take a word that has an ambiguous meaning, or that sounds bad, or that people broadly just don't know what it means. And in this case, that would be, you know, Antifa and critical race theory. These are the two that they're using, where the average person is like, what the hell is that? And then they will tell the average person what it means. And, of course, it'll mean something terrible. 
And uh, so, you know, I, I, your point is well taken. It's sort of like, you know, the, how Rush Limbaugh set out in the late 80s to reinvent the word liberal. And he was so successful in that that by the 90s, Bill Clinton refer, refused to refer to himself as a liberal. In fact, most Democratic politicians refused to refer to themselves as liberals because Limbaugh and the right had so demonized that word. They had made that word toxic. And, uh, you know, I, 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 but hey, I, hey, I, I, I told hey, Tom. Yeah. Hey, Tom. One last thing. If there is an anti-fascist movement, why do they exist? Yeah, and who are the fa see that's the thing there's an anti-fascism and then there's a pro-fascism and if you don't talk about anti-fascism you never get to who the pro-fascists are excellent point yeah i mean who's, who's going to create a group called anti-fascists if there aren't fascists to stop daryl thank you for the call we'll be right back You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's the place where we dare to ask, is Walmart a person? And we dare to say, no, not a chance. Come on, give me a break. Back with your calls after this. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? Yeah, hi. Well, you know, we have the, the political side of uh, people who seem to be clamoring for fascism. But I just found out this morning that a group called Anonymous, they sent a message to Elon Musk. And this is apparently a group that uh, could be uh, fueled by the fossil fuel industry, no pun intended, uh, has all sorts. It's a smear campaign against Tesla and Elon Musk, not that he deserves a little bit of scorn for not paying any taxes, but all sorts of misinformation. This is on YouTube about, you know, the electric car industry getting subsidized heavily by the government, mm. which isn't really true at all because the fossil fuel industry gets subsidized way more. That's so right. I think I think there's there's fascism in industry too. And I think the, there's so many people in the fossil fuel industry who really want the status quo that's existed since about 1900 to keep going and going and going. And they don't like the electric cars. I, I have one. I bought a Tesla two years ago. I love it. Uh, and, you know, that there's these forces that want to keep... I, I mean, I can even remember Bill O'Reilly when he was still on Fox and this was when the curly Q light bulbs were coming out, the ones that don't use that much industry. And he was talking about, well, there's hardly any light when you turn them on. Like, you know, the, the old-fashioned light bulbs are better, and we need to keep the old-fashioned light bulbs. Even that, uh, that crank that used to represent a district in, was it Iowa? Yeah, Steve I can't think King. of her name. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, the, the woman. Oh, from Minneapolis, who was really, who's... who's Five feet tall. Yeah, whose husband was uh, running the uh, pray away the gay thing? Exactly, Michelle Bachman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember she was talking about how light bulb, uh, you know, the new light bulbs were really bad, and we need yeah. to have a law against them, and yeah. you know, the the old fashioned were better. So I'm yeah, guessing, Dennis. You know, anonymous anonymous was actually a pretty solid group of hackers of pro democracy hackers back uh, six eight years ago, and mm -hmm. maybe even longer. And I haven't heard from them in a long time. I, I'm wondering if this is just somebody using the name of that group or if it's somebody who's a Bitcoin freak who's going after Elon Musk 
He's been kind of on both sides of digital currencies. Um, right. And recently, he's been uh, more uh, against than for, and so I would be wary of taking that too seriously. I, I, I think that may well be a, a disinformation campaign or something. If there's any anonymous yeah. hackers still around, then you know they may be knocking on the door of whoever is. Or, you know, maybe they've decided that Elon Musk is a bad guy. I mean, you know, he is, he is a little strange. And he is a billionaire yeah, who doesn't is. pay taxes. And, yeah, he uh, is. But, but uh, disinformation campaigns, is, that, that, that's synonymous with, with fascism. They're all about yeah. disinformation. And so uh, this, there's, there's a site called Electric, E-L-E-C-T-R-E-K. They've got the story about anonymous attacks, Tesla and Elon Musk, and video that looks like it could have been made by the oil industry. So if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, And they've gotten a lot more likes than dislikes on YouTube, apparently, today. Okay. Dennis, thanks thanks for the tip. Tom Harmon here with you and uh, Pamela in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Pamela, what's up? Uh, Hi, Tom. Hey, just to add to what you were saying before, and I totally agree, fighting the Republicans is all well and good, but as long as the right-wing media keeps growing and brainwashing millions of people, it won't make a difference. And for whatever reason, there doesn't seem to be a billionaire willing to step up to create a counter-media network. So what can Congress do? Can they enact, like, maybe libel laws or a new fairness doctrine? Uh, It's extremely unlikely, and uh, you wouldn't want new libel laws. That's what Donald Trump wants. I don't think that abandoning the First Amendment basically would be a good idea for us. What they can do, though... And I lay this out in detail in in my book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, is they can start breaking up giant oligarchic organizations. You know, these media organizations or these, uh, you know, radio networks that own a thousand radio stations and put right wing programming on bunches of them. Uh, The ones now now they're doing it with Spanish language right wing programming, you know, shifting Hispanics from Spanish speaking Hispanics from being Democrats to being Republicans using things like abortion and also just naked racism against black people in Spanish language radio. There's a lot of that going on right now. Those are the kind of things that could be done. Use of the uh, anti-monopoly laws. And frankly, that stuff that Joe Biden could order his Commerce Department and Justice Department to get into, too, and would not require legislation. Um, but that's something that we need to be pushing, pushing the, the Biden administration for. Thanks a lot for the call. Kevin in Queen Creek, Arizona. Hey, Kevin, what's on your mind? Hey, how are you doing, sir? Thank you. I enjoy your show. I like to talk about this. I listen to it at work. But I am at this moment, like a lot of people, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety and I'm really scared for uh, our democracy. And I believe that if they think that they can pull this off with voting rights, I believe what they're going to do is write their own demise. If I had it right, the German businesses were destroyed by that's right this type of fascism that's right when tyson and, and, tyson and, fled the country in 1940 he fled germany in 1940 to i think i think he went to belgium and that's where he wrote his uh, autobiography i paid hitler it was published in 1941 in the united states it, right i just think i just think that 
a lot of people, like I, I, my thunder was stolen a little bit by your earlier gentleman who said that people don't know the difference between Antifa and uh, anti-fascism. Right. And I They're believe the that thing. there's a, right, there's a myth of education in this country that's, I can't even talk to people anymore because when I bring that up, and I'm simply quoting off of a History Channel show, and they're not clued in on these things. So it's sad, but they're not voting based off of knowledge. They're voting based off of white, what they use, identity politics, of those types of things. And I'm, I'm in corporate America, and I work for a global co- company out of Asia. I'm an African-American, and some of the things that I hear that people say in my industry is it, mind-blowing. And it's, uh, for example. it's really when you could. For example, that pretty much soon that we're going to have more foreign people in this country running this country, taking over the computer chip industry, because, you know, there's a computer chip shortage right now, Mm -hmm. and that we're going to have people taking over jobs. You're going to have people from Mexico building and people from other companies taking over, and that's how they're going to come in and infiltrate all items with computer chips and, and control the United States. I mean, it's yeah. just... Well, that's been the hysteria since the 70s. Yeah. And by the way, you know, oh, the, there was just a huge piece of legislation that Congressman Ro Khanna, who's a regular on this show, was a co-author of that passed the Senate yesterday and has now, or, you know, I'm, I'm not sure Biden has signed it yet, but it'll soon become law, that gives just absolutely huge subsidies for R&D and to establish a chip industry here in the United States. That's good news. Well, the industry is supported by immigrants and people who come to this country that works. And Americans work, natural-born Americans, I I would say, work in the industry as well. But I think that the way people are are thinking about with this fascist state of mind, they're they're forgetting about industries like that. And it's... It's a lack of education, man. It's, it's really sad. Yeah, it, it really is. And not just a lack of inf- education. There's also a, literally an entire misinformation or malinformation industry and you know the, that I refer to as right-wing hate radio and television. But it, it's also on the Internet, huge. Kevin, thank you. Thanks for sharing your experiences with us. I appreciate the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tom Harbin here with you. Two stories that I promised I would get to. Number one, the Senate release, this is from a, it's a bipartisan report from the Homeland Security Committee and the Rules Committee in the Senate. And they, they got together and said, okay, here's your report about what happened on January 6th. Now, there were Democrats and Republicans on these committees, so therefore the result would be what you would probably expect from a bipartisan commission as well. Uh, anything with Republicans on it is going to be filled with, well, actually it's not going to be filled with anything meaningful about Donald Trump. And sure enough, that's what we got. They uh, are talking about how, well, there were failures of intelligence. Failures of intelligence? Come on, we could, we could, you could watch on Facebook as this thing was being organized. Uh, the FBI didn't let the Capitol Police know what was going on. Come on, they, they, everybody knew what was going on. It was, they were talking about it on television. There's not one word in this report about Donald Trump inciting January 6th. There's not one word about how he, he uh, before he learned that Pence was safe, he was cranking up the crowd with Twitter as he was sitting in the White House watching his people running around chanting, hang Mike Pence. There's not one word about the lies that he told that led to it or the lies that he told afterwards. Not a word. Well, it, it looks like it was just, a, you know, we've got a little problem here. And the report finds failures at every level. The intelligence community failed to provide an adequate warning, although the violence was planned right out in the open. Capitol Police failed to act on the intelligence, didn't prepare. Might that have had something to do with their leadership, which resigned right afterwards? The Pentagon resisted offering assistance of the D.C. National Guard. Gee, I wonder why. Oh, we're not going to talk about that in this report. No. Not going to talk about it. This is obscene. It's just obscene. The other point, the other story that I want to share with you real quickly is uh, Judd Legum, who publishes his newsletter at popular.info, has found where Joe Manchin gets his talking points. In fact, that's the title of Judd's piece, where Joe Manchin gets his talking points. And it turns out it's pretty straightforward. First of all, the frame, Manchin's main talking point is we shouldn't do things we shouldn't pass laws unless they're bipartisan unless republicans vote for them as well as democrats well, he's ignoring the fact that literally everything he's refusing to go along with is supported by the majority of republican voters number one but number two he's also ignoring the fact that state after state after state we now have 22 states that have changed their voting laws since January 6th, 22 states in no cases were there any Democrats involved. None of those were bipartisan. None of them. But Manchin is saying, oh, well, that, you know, that's, that's the states. They can do what they want. But at the federal level, it has to involve Republicans. And of course, the Republicans are totally united against it. I mean, it's a totally bizarre argument. Right? Act on an entirely bipartisan basis, except when Republicans do it. That's Manchin's argument. 
And by the way, this is the exact same argument that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has just announced that they're going to start supporting Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has been making. This is a uh, press release from the U.S. Chamber. The Chamber is deeply troubled by the efforts at the state and federal level to enact election law changes on a partisan basis. Now, they are not talking about the Republican laws to make it harder to vote. That's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The chamber is deeply troubled by efforts at the state and federal level to enact election law changes on a partisan basis. Changes enacted on a partisan basis are the most likely to erode access and security and undermine public confidence and the willingness of the American people to trust and accept future election outcomes. But in Texas, Senate Bill 7, which would just basically make it really, really hard for Hispanics and African-Americans to vote. But chamber doesn't have a problem with that. It's not bipartisan. It's all Republicans. This is the For the People Act. There have been two separate polls. The first poll was done by Data for Progress, and they found 52% of Republicans, 70% of independents, 85% of Democrats support the legislation. That's bipartisan. Another poll done by N uh, Citizens United, this was reported on MSNBC as well, in April found that 79% of West Virginia voters, including 76% of West Virginia Republicans, support the For the People Act. But the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, does not support it. And therefore, it seems, neither does Joe Manchin. Good to know where uh, nests are feathered, as the old uh, metaphor goes. Kirk in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Kirk, what's on your mind today? Well, it's all about Joe Manchin, and I'm becoming increasingly concerned, like it sounds you are. Yeah. Just read that he brushed off the civil rights leaders, including Al Sharpton, that Biden advised to treat Manchin with kid gloves. That strategy backfired. Oh, um, really? He refused to meet them? Uh, no, no, he met with them, and it was, uh, you know, a very good meeting, according to Joe Manchin, but didn't change his position one iota. Right, um, so he blew him off, basically, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm hearing different things from callers and what I'm reading, and and just was listening to you say that, you know, there was probably a miscalculation by Biden. Maybe there's a velvet hammer and strategy. Schumer. And yeah. Schumer, too, yeah. Maybe there's a velvet hammer strategy, and if so, I'm all for that. But what is there to be lost by making an example out of Joe Manchin? I don't think there's anything. And does Joe Biden really want to go down in history as someone who lost his whole, lost his, his whole uh, movement and agenda to somebody who took a rifle to um, an Obama document. Yeah, yeah. No, Manchin has been telling us who he was for a long, long time. You know, the danger is that Biden would lose control of the Senate, and having control of the Senate, even in some minor ways, is, is I think, pretty useful to Schumer and to Biden right now. But your point is well taken, Kurt. Thanks for the call. Patrick in Los Angeles. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind today? Yeah. Hi, Tom. Thanks for your show. Thanks for having me on. You were talking about LBJ earlier and how we wish we had an LBJ-like leader of the Senate who could get things done. And I just want to remember that back then there were liberal Republicans, there were conservative Democrats, there was room to play in the middle, and LBJ could 
do things. I don't think LBJ would be able to do any more than anybody else. And I think the Democrats need to get smarter and realize it's a new day. I don't know if Leader Schumer is the man for the circumstances, but we need somebody. LBJ was facing a Democratic Party in 1965, half of whom, along with probably two-thirds of the Republican Party, were totally opposed to civil rights legislation. When he passed Medicare, I mean, just think of the, what he accomplished. You're right. You know, both parties had people, you know, had, had kind of a mixture in them, although they, they had been highly marginalized. I mean, it was 1964 when Nelson Rockefeller got up and asked at the Republican National Convention and said, you know, we have to reject extremism. He was booed off the platform. And Barry Goldwater got up and said, extremism in the pursuit of liberty is no vice. And he got a standing ovation and he became the party's nominee for president. So the liberals in the Republican Party are wildly overstated by the time LBJ, well, actually LBJ was president at that, at that time in 1964. And conservatives in the Democratic Party that's also wildly overstated because all those Dixiecrats, they were only conservative because of race. The only reason that they opposed expanding things like, you know, Medicare, or Medicaid, I mean, or, you know, I mean, Medicare and Medicaid came into being in 65. But, you know, expanding any kind of social programs was because they were afraid black people would get the benefits. And that was it was entirely about race. So the, the so-called conservatives in the Democratic Party were not really conservatives. They were racists. Although I think that you could build a strong case well, that the yeah. vast majority of the conservative movement ever since the 1920s has been about race. And, and in fact, you could probably go back a lot, lot farther yeah. before that. Since the 1860s. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I get your point, but I think that, you know, some nuances in order here. And I really do think, you know, having read a biography of LBJ and having lived through his presidency, and I hated LBJ when I was a kid because because yeah. he wanted to send, you know, he sent uh, several of my friends to die in Vietnam and he wanted to send me too. And there were, you know, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids have you killed today? That was what we chanted when we marched. And yet... There is no doubt in my mind that if LBJ or if Teddy Roosevelt or if Franklin Roosevelt, the great presidential leaders of the 20th century, if one of those guys was in the White House right now or if one of those guys was leading the Senate right now, that this would have been done by March. We would be three months out. We'd be looking back at, you know, all the accomplishments right now, which is not meant as a slam on Biden. I, th I think that Biden thought that his caucus was more solid than it was. I think that the worming into Mansion Cinema and a few other Democrats by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the largest lobbying organization in the United States, and by the Koch Network, which is actually, ha you know, has a larger budget, more employees and larger staff, more offices than the entire Republican Party. It's a shadow political party. I think, frankly, this is a miscalculation, just just like the miscalculations that were made during the Clinton campaign in 2016, not understanding how powerful your opponent is, because, you know, a lot of that's being just kind of kept under the radar. And the Republicans want it that way. And these guys, you know, they're very good at operating in the shadows. They've got these state networks set up all over the United States. They've taken over state after state after state. They've got a huge media operation. I mean, I just, you, you have to, you have to go to war, essentially. I mean, it has to be, it has to be all hands on deck and, and you know, nothing off the table. Patrick, I got to run, but thank you for the call. We'll be back with more here on the Tom Hartman program, fair and only slightly unbalanced.
We're reading today in the Tom Hartman Book Club from my old friend Armin Lehman's book, the late Armin Lehman. The book is titled In Hitler's Bunker, A Boy Soldier's Eyewitness Account of the Fuhrer's Last Days. My friend Armin was the 16-year-old who gave the bad news to Hitler, and then he watched as Hitler walked into the room and committed suicide. It opens with an introduction from Arthur Axman, the leader of the Hitler Youth, in April of 45. There's only victory or annihilation. Know no bounds in your hatred of the enemy. It is your duty to watch when others tire, to stand when others weaken. Your greatest honor is your unshakable fidelity to Adolf Hitler. It was with words such as these that the Third Reich's Hitler youth leader, Arthur Axman, exhorted 10-year-old boys and girls being sworn into the Hitler youth in Berlin on the eve of Adolf Hitler's last birthday. The children were being inducted into the junior echelons of the movement, the Jungvolk, the young folk, and the young model, the young maidens. I was looking on, then age 16, a member of the Hitler Youth Volkssturm, literally People's Storm. The Volkssturm was the home defense force of old men and young boys hastily assembled in the dying days of the war. Every able-bodied male between the ages of 16 and 55 was ordered to put on whatever uniform he could find, anything from postman's uniforms to firefighter's uniforms, and fight for the fatherland. The Russians called us totals because we were the result of total war. The Wehrmacht called us stew because we were a mixture of old meat and green vegetables. However, I had recently distinguished myself in battle and had even been awarded the Iron Cross second class. The Hitler youth leader, Arthur Axman, at 32, was the youngest of the senior Nazis around Hitler, but his influence within Hitler's inner circle was growing daily toward the end of the war as he pledged that the Hitler youth movement would fight to the death for the Fuhrer and the fatherland. In Hitler's last days, Axman was one of only a handful of Nazis, including Hitler's private secretary, Martin Bormann, and the cynical propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, who enjoyed the Fuhrer's absolute trust and confidence. Axman had personally selected me to present to Hitler on the occasion of his 56th birthday at a ceremony in the Reich Chancellery in Berlin, partly because of my recent distinction in fighting the Russians, but partly, I suspect, because my role in the Hitler Youth Unit was as a courier, a melder. Hitler had won his Iron Cross as a courier in the First World War. I think that Axman saw that as a lucky sign of some sort. At that moment, our Fuhrer could do with every bit of luck he could get. As I watched Axman, I did not realize it, but victory for the Allies was no longer in doubt. Germany was being overrun from every direction. City after city was being turned into ash under a ferocious Allied bombing campaign, unprecedented in its intensity. I, along with several hundred other teenage soldiers of the Hitler Youth Volkssturm, was among the last who would serve Hitler's regime in Berlin, in the much vaulted Zitadel, Citadel of the Fuhrer's last redoubt in the dying days of the war. I didn't know it at the time, but I would soon be serving as a courier in his bunker beneath the chancellery. It was an experience that would bring me into contact with some of the most notorious Nazis of the time, as well as some of the most decent soldiers and civilians struggling to cope with the death wish Hitler had imposed upon all Germans. Facing total defeat, the Fuhrer was now willing to sacrifice everything and everybody, including even the youngest and most innocent of German lives. It wasn't just males, either. The Bund Deutscher Model, the German Girls' Legion, or BDM, was the female section of the Hitler Youth. They, too, sacrificed their lives for the Fuhrer. I did not realize at the time that Germany faced total defeat. I still believed in the myth of our, quote, miracle weapons that was widely circulated before the end of the war. I had no comprehension of the sheer evil that was at the heart of the Nazi regime. Yet I was prepared to lay down my life for Hitler in defense of the fatherland and the noble ideals of the National Socialist Movement. 
I was elated at the prospect of greeting Hitler the following morning on his 56th and last birthday. To comprehend why anybody can have been so thoroughly taken in by such a deception, one must understand a little about my background. I was four years old when Adolf Hitler became Reich Chancellor of a coalition cabinet in Germany. It was 30 January 1933. Later that historic date became known as Die Machtgeführung, the seizure of might. Absolute power, as Hitler has taught us, often brings about primal chaos. But in Hitler's case, it went beyond that. His absolute control over the minds of countless individuals created a living hell that destroyed the lives of millions of people in a human catastrophe too enormous to comprehend. In Hitler's bunker. Mike in Dickinson, North Dakota. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Regarding the CNN Rudy Giuliani audio, to me, the real story is not confirmation of a, of a quid pro quo because any person understands and, and knew that. Instead, what fascinates me is how CNN got it. I mean, is this from... The Ukraine, or is this from the FBI that we don't know Giuliani's devices? What do you think? I am guessing that this would be most likely a leak out of the Justice Department, but honestly, I have no idea. I'm guessing mm. that, that the Justice Department is furiously trying to figure it out. But yeah, it could have come out of Ukraine as well because you know it was an international call, and they I'm sure that they're recording these calls. This was three days before Trump's too, so. In any case, I, I, but I just, I just don't know, and I'll have to leave it at that. Mike, thank you for the call. Betty Lou in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Hey, Betty Lou, what's on your mind? Oh, Betty Lou, Hi, I, we just have a half a minute. Do you have a quick point you want to make? Yes, just real quick. Here in Sierra Vista, they're having a truck and car rally in celebration of Trump's birthday on June 14th, beginning at the Republican headquarters, where they still have a picture of Trump in the window. Oh, geez. So, are counter-protesters going to be there? I don't know. I've suggested that people look for armed people, sedition talk and such. And if there's anything like that, they should call the FBI. It's going to be crazy trained all over again. Betty Lou, thank you for the call. Thanks for the heads up. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and uh, and for sharing, you know, the good news about this program. Increasingly, I'm catching from, you know, new listeners and new viewers that, uh, oh, yeah, you know, my friend told me about your program. Thank you for that. And uh, get out there, get active. Hey, democracy needs you. Tag your it. We'll see you at the same time, same place. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.